Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another edition of The Way with Fanoa. Um, really, uh, well, I know I always say this every week. I'm always excited to talk to the people who I get to uh, wrestle onto the show to, to chat it up with me about the work they're doing, um, the different things they have going on. I'm excited this evening because I get to talk to um, a writer. I'm actually just really getting to know um, and actually had the pleasure of meeting uh, this past weekend, which was pretty cool. Um, so all in all, you know, I had a pretty fun time in New York. Um, got to hang out with Katie Halper and do a live taping of the Katie Halper show along with our friend, Wendy Muse and can't forget Gabe. Um, Gabe is rather funny. If you guys uh, don't follow him already, definitely check him out. But, um, Aaron, who's joining me this evening, wrote a piece recently that just like, I'm like, yes. Um, it was in the nation, uh, last week. Uh, Russia Gate is more fiction than fact. Aaron, how are you doing this evening? Hi, Noah. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, so you know, if I've tweeted it out, a lot of other people have shared it too. I'm about to tweet it again. If you haven't read the article, definitely please go read it, share it, follow Aaron. I mean, it's a really great piece. So I'm um, just, 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 just even the the subtitle for your piece, Aaron. Uh, from accusations of Trump campaign collusion to f Russian Facebook ad buys, the media has substituted hype for evidence. Like, you encapsulated so much what so many of us have been thinking ever since this has became, like, a thing. Um, it just seems like we've always been waiting for, like, that, 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 that actual proof, that big evidence, right? And it doesn't seem like that anything's actually come of it. How did you come to piecing together um, this article? Well, uh, I mean, I should first acknowledge that I'm... I'm not the first to point out that Russiagate is hype right. and it's based on a lot of innuendo. Um, it, the problem is it's like it's too big an opportunity for too many people in positions of privilege and influence. So if you're the Democrats, right, if you're the DNC and you're the Clinton campaign and you lost to Donald Trump, you know, the worst candidate in history. You spent that much money, you took that much money from people, and you lost to Donald Trump, then you it's easy for you to to want to find a scapegoat. And um, the fact is that we've had these allegations of some uh, that the Russian government hacked into, into some emails. And so as even um, this book, the sort of definitive book on the Clinton campaign, it's called Shattered, mm -hmm. uh, based on interviews with dozens of Clinton campaign insiders. I mean, they say that within twenty four hours of Clinton losing, they decided to spin the narrative to the media uh, that they're going to blame two two things: one, James Comey, and two, Russia. And they did. And um, now that imperative, that need to find an excuse instead of actual looking at how could we lose to Donald Trump, also coincides with um, longstanding hostility inside the U.S. foreign policy elite to Russia. Uh, for its own reasons, I mean, a um, Russia was the competing force for a long time with the U.S. in terms of who was going to dominate the world. Okay. So, na so naturally, Russia has faced a lot of antagonism for a long time. And also, in both Russia and the U.S., using the fear of the other has been a great tool for domestic elites to enrich themselves, to award themselves massive arms contracts and you know whip up jingoism and patriotism, do all those things that help people in power but don't really help average people. So... Blaming Russia coincided with that. And then there was just a lot of people who don't, in the in powerful positions in the uh, intelligence community, who don't want better relations with Russia for, for many reasons. 
And Trump at least said, although it's hard to know if he, if he meant it or not, because he's, you know, who knows if he means anything he says. He had said he wanted to have warmer relations with Russia. And he also had made some other statements that rhetorically challenged the Republican consensus. And so naturally, this was a, a point of uh, contention for many um, Republicans, too, who don't want to see better ties with Russia. And then finally, um, for the media, it's, you know, you have this exciting real life spy thriller, you get scoops, you mm -hmm. get leaks. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's developed into this, you know, fact free storm of innuendo in which Russia is accused of everything. But what's missing from all of it is actually evidence. Mm -hmm. So even the very claim that uh, Russia, the, the Russian government hacked into the DNC emails and, and John Podesta's emails. All we have so far is just claims from elements of the U.S. intelligence community. And, you know, we know in the past where that's gone, when U.S. intelligence community has made anonymous claims and, and how, um, how accurate that's turned out to be. I mean, just look at the Iraq war, you know. And so, but everyone in a position of influence has kind of just ran with it for their own reasons. And nearly a year later, this is still a dominant topic, which is just, to me, insane. When we have Donald Trump as president, all the things he's doing... And we're talking about Russia. Right, right, right. And I mean, I mean, thank you also for, for noting that, because you're right, because you are not the first person that has made the linkage. But this was the most recent updated piece that I had seen that actually also, you know, dealt with this whole um, Facebook, you know, nonsense, too. I mean, because <laughs> when you look at what's happening, uh, just to step back for a little bit on all sides or both sides or whatever, we, we do have this increasing attack on um, activists and organizers and those who do not, you know, fit inside of any neat little boxes and how this this is being spun right since since the election. And it's been increasingly, increasingly antagonistic towards uh, issue based activism, almost in some ways, too, where, where, where we see right wing stuff being put on the same level as left leaning um, progressive issues as being divisive and somehow, you know, destroying uh, anything that the center or right of center, um, centrist liberals, you know, think is what we should be promoting as American values. And just just thinking about what has happened since this 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 whole shattering story about the Facebook ads came out. Um, like you said, there's little evidence, right? And when you actually look at some of the the, the statements put out by Facebook, I think Facebook has an actual info sheet. Up that people can look at to see more specifics about, you know, when the ads were, were dropped and what they targeted and things like that. It doesn't fit this broader narrative that seems to be created and manufactured, whether it's Adam Schiff testifying or giving interviews or actual media outlets writing stories. Um, there really is this, it's, it's not conjecture. It's not some conspiracy theory. There really is a fabrication in the storytelling that has become this Russia you know, narrative that they interfered with the election. And I'm still looking for the interference. Um, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, th this Facebook story is a great illustration of that because they don't have any evidence yet of collusion between Trump and Russia, which is kind of like every liberal's fantasy that they can somehow explain Trump's presidency, not because of, you know, the failures of neoliberalism and people revolting against that, not because of Trump appealing to the fact to, to people's racism right. and all those things, but because somehow the Russians were so sophisticated enough that they managed to manipulate uh, social media and also release hacked emails strategically enough to convince voters to vote for Trump. I mean, that's their liberal fantasy. Um, and with in the absence of evidence of this collusion part, now we're coming up with this thing 
And also, with Facebook acknowledging that most of these ads came out after the election, now the narrative is spinning to this thing that you touched on, which is that the Russians were trying to sow discord and division in our society. Um, and there's just so many things wrong with that. I mean, A, first of all, we, again, there's no pr- there was no proof these ads were purchased by the Russian government. They came from, Facebook says, likely Russians. That's all we know. It was $100,000, Facebook says, which is nothing. And most of the ads aired after the election, right? right. But anyway, but and like, and then, and so then it becomes this thing of it. Well, they they were both, um, they were like these ads were, some of these ads talked about Black Lives Matter. And that was an attempt to sow division and discord. Well, like, if you make that claim and you say that as if that's like a, a horrible bad thing, the presumption there is that like, there's something about Black Lives Matter, as you just touched on, that's divisive. Right. You know what I mean? And as if that's like, and, and that like people in Ferguson or Baltimore needed a Facebook ad to go out in the streets and protest racism. And, and doing so was, a, was not just an act of protesting racism, but it was somehow the result of some Russian influence. Like right. the whole thing, A, there's no evidence and it's specious. And B, it reveals such like contempt as you talked about, for activism and for, for people standing up for their rights. It's like, it's the whole thing is, it's, it, it's, it's, I mean, it, it's a joke. It just is. No, I, I, it really is. It, 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 it's really frustrating too, right? At a time where we do see such a ramping up of activism, you know, whether it's in the streets, whether it's people directly trying to engage in terms of progressive candidates, challenging, you know, um, you know, incumbent Dems or incumbent Republicans, whichever way. I mean, we see this massive wave of people really trying to engage in a more meaningful direction. And now anything and everything that may or may not actually have anything to do with anything. And yes, you guys, I'm saying that in those very vague terms like that, because that's all there really is. It's like, it's like vapor. It's like nothing really that's, that, that's here. But what it really is doing, it's also, it's damaging to people's work, it's damaging to people's credibility, and it's damaging to the voice um, of those that exist outside the previously determined acceptable mainstream media outlets, which, in fact, are really the ones to blame for all the coverage and the fact that Trump is the even bigger household name when we really think about it. I mean, I mean, Aaron, just just, just from your experience, because I know you've been you've been in journalism for quite some time. Like the Facebook ads, yes, Facebook is becoming a bigger, you know, medium or source of news and information. But when you have Donald Trump receiving, what was it, like $2 billion or for free advertising on TV or something like that? It was some really large number. I, I forget, forgive me, everyone, for not having the specific numbers. But like in comparison, if anything is to blame, if we're really going to sit here and single out one thing, right, like in terms of media, the fact that mainstream media, whether it was CBS, you know, which has been quoted as is reported that Donald Trump was good for ratings or the amount of coverage he got, you know, versus on MSNBC, Fox News, all these other stations versus some Facebook ads, which, as you pointed out, nearly half or over half actually didn't even, you know, post during the, the election itself. Like, it, it just seems like there's a lack of accountability here. Yeah. And I think that's a huge reason why there's so much talk about Russia. I mean, if if Russia wasn't to blame, then we'd have to look at exactly all this free airtime that the networks gave to Trump, um, all the terrible uh, campaign decisions that the Clintons made. And it's like we'd have, people in privileged positions in the media and in politics would have to look at, OK, so what did we do? What role did we play in a system 
that gave rise to this man, that gave rise to Donald Trump being the president of the U.S. And they'd have to look at their own complicity. So they'd have to look at championing uh, neoliberal policies that, you know, wiped out um, a lot of people across the country. So leading to many people either to not vote at all or to be like, take a chance on this man, con man Trump, who was promising to drain the swamp and was like talking language that he calculated would reach people. Um, and, you know, but it, it would force everyone to do that. But mm-hmm. the commitment to Russia, to focusing on it, I, I think reflects a refusal by people in privileged positions to actually confront their own privilege. It's sort of like a privilege defense mechanism in some ways. I mean, I think that's a really excellent point, right? I mean, when you just look at what happened in the 2016, you know, presidential election cycle, particularly in the general election, right? We look at the amount of hubris. We look at the dis the disregarding of anyone from the left progressive spaces for the most part, right? In terms of, you know, helping with, you know, beating Trump because people will blame whatever news site, they'll blame whatever surrogates of Bernie or Bernie Sanders or whatever organizers, they'll blame the voters themselves for not helping the Clinton campaign. But we saw a, a, a desire to shift right, which is what Democrats have continuously done since the election. I mean, maybe it's what they've done really since the election of, I was going to say election of Barack Obama, but maybe really since the election of um, uh, 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 Bill Clinton. I mean, the shifting to right to try and appease and, and, and reach over to, you know, reach over the aisle to moderate Republicans. We recently saw uh, comments from Joe Biden talking about how, you know, once upon a time he would there, there used to be, you know, old Southern segregation is still in the party and they would sit down and have lunch and, and come together because, you know, th- this divisiveness that exists right now um, didn't exist before. And, and, and this language is so problematic to me. And this is why I'm suspicious of this clamping down on on what what many will label as fake news or or alternative news sources which really in many ways are the only valid means of getting out you know differing viewpoints um you know definitely appreciate sources like the nation uh for carrying content like yours but at the same time we do have this coordinated push that this type of stuff that's happening right now is divisive i.e you know what's happening on the left with like black lives matter um you know DACA protests, uh, immigration reform requests, things like that. are div- These are divisive issues in our nation because we can't all kumbaya around them. I don't yeah. understand why not. I mean, these are all issues of human rights, right? You know, uh, Standing Rock, these are divisive issues, but that's water. Clean water access affects all of us. That should be something that we're organizing and mobilizing, uniting around. And so this characterization of, of social issues as something that's divisive, something we shouldn't talk about, it really is... Um, I think problematic to see coming from Democrats, particularly at a time where they should be trying to invest in and shore up their so-called base versus trying to trade us out to appease, you know, the right which has thrown in with Trump. Like it, it, it's yeah. just a it's just a weird dynamic that's happening right now. It's very strange, and I think it shows just how um, issues like Black Lives Matter are kind of only of use or interest to a certain sector of liberals when it can be used for their electoral advantage. But now if you can, if you can now use it as like a weapon against Russian disinformation, then all of a sudden black lives matter is divisive and, and, and Russia putting up an ad about black lives matter is divisive. It it reveals a lot about their attitudes and their staunch commitment to not taking on issues that actually affect the country, but just doing stuff that avoids challenging their own position you know i mean you think like you think if anything losing to donald trump 
the most, you know, like the worst candidate. I, I mean, I don't know American history that well, but I think it's he's, he's one of the worst candidates, if not the worst candidate ever. And they lost to him. And they lost to actually Trump spent way less money. Um, and instead of, you know, using that as an opportunity for some meaningful self-reflection, you know, they've turned to this like McCarthyite Russia thing. And I, I mean, I live in, in New York most of the time and I, you know, I know people like some media people I know are really interested in it, but whenever I go elsewhere, like no one cares. And it just seems like it seems really out of touch to me. Do you, do you think that the lack of interest in this conversation is because maybe people don't feel like it touches their work or their experience just yet? Or because being in New York or if you're in like basically being in that whole area, you know, New York, D.C., that area, it seems that people tend to be hyper aware of, of these broader issues, whether they directly impact their work or not. And that maybe other folks don't necessarily see, I mean, the, 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 see it on the same level. Um, cause I just, just doing independent media, like I just really see, or, or in, in, in just being connected to organizers, I really see this as a problematic, you know, foray we're going into, particularly as you put it with, with it's almost like a new McCarthy, well, not almost like it's a new McCarthy ism that's, that's, that's starting to happen. Um, you know, I'm friends with Eugene Perrier and Brian Becker, who both have shows on, um, Radio Sputnik and, the fact that it's Radio Sputnik gives it all the way right there. And, and you know, people have already started having issues for being, yes, at least on Eugene's show, um, without anyone taking the time to listen to the context, what he actually does, just simply because there's a Russian connection. And yeah. and even with, uh, I can't think of, the, I can't pronounce the name of the software, but even with the, the virus scan software, um, was it Perninsky? Oh, yeah, I, I just saw that story today. I haven't read it yet, but yeah, there's well, some... Yeah, but, well, just real briefly... Um, there, the, the, you know, German authorities found that there's been no evidence that, uh, I can't pronounce the name, you guys forgive me, but the, uh, there's no evidence that Russians were using this virus scan software, which many people have used. I've used it once upon a time. People have used without any types of issues or, you know, malware or anything like that. There was no evidence that that was being used somehow nefariously to spy on people or manipulate any, any type of data or whatever. But this, like, freaking out of anything related to Russia, I mean, I guess next will be, like, stopping vodka importation. Like, it's just, it's getting to the point where it's really ridiculous just to escape um, culpability in terms of what happened in the 2016 election. And it's, it's rather disconcerting. And I really wish more people were paying attention to this side of the conversation versus freaking out about Russia and impeaching Trump. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, and the problem is, I think the reason why it gets lost is because the media, I mean, and politicians, I mean, they set the agenda. I mean, like, they're the ones who have the resources and the time to, like, make choices about what stories are going to cover and what topics are going to investigate and how they're going to resist, how, especially politicians, how they're going to resist Trump. And they really <laughs> doubled down on this Russia thing. So it's like everyone, it's like, so for everyone who doesn't, who's not in that D.C., New York bubble, I mean, it just seems, I, you know, whoever I talk to who's outside of that, just is like, it has no relation to their life. Like, I mean, people, it's like the social problems that gave rise to Trump are still very much there. But it's people who have benefited from the economic system and who live in a kind of a bubble who think it's important to, like, wonder if, 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 like, if Vladimir Putin is controlling Trump. Is it this is all kind of some big conspiracy? It's like, it's convenient, but it's... It's based on really nothing. It's 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 a con. <laughs> it's a con. 
Um, I was just thinking about some of the more specific like things that you found that you uncovered there, that you reported on in your article. One of those things is about the is is finding what the motive would have been for these advertisers on Facebook, right? And one of the things that you note um, based on another piece was that Facebook's initial review of this found that it was you know a financial motive, right? Like you know. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe, yeah, like not yeah. not that they were trying to nefariously do something politically, but that there is like, look, stupid people are going to click on this and we can make money. This is really funny. Yes. Um, so the the most like thorough story to date on the, the Facebook Russia story was put up by the Washington Post. And they reveal something really funny. They said that when Facebook did their initial review of all these ads, like trying to find Russians, they they found these ads, but they were like, "Oh, this looks look, this looks just like standard troll farm clickbait, where someone puts out like fake news or like you know, um, you know, uh, uh, snappy like uh, uh, sort of like sexy headlines to get clicks. If you get a click, you get a page view, and the more page view you have, the more page views, the more ad revenue like you get. So it's so." Facebook initially found that this was just clickbait, that these ads are just clickbait, which makes sense. And there are a lot of troll farms like this in Russia where that are just like they spin out like weird content and then they hope people click on it. Right. So right. Facebook, and Facebook there are people not in Russia who also procure those services to sure, another story. Sure, <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, sure. So, so Facebook initially found that and they're like, yeah, this probably didn't come from a government. But then the this this then got back to like literally like this is in the Washington Post story but there's a link to it in my article or if there's not a link there like I quote from it and basically the Obama and Clinton camp heard that and didn't like it so they came up with their own theory and they they like they they like worked on it they relayed their theory that it actually was the Russian government trying to sow division to uh, their allies in Congress their allies in Congress then put pressure on Facebook. Senator Mark Warner flew out to Facebook headquarters in California and like talked to them. And then like months later, Facebook came back and said, all right, we've actually changed our, our story. These were likely Russian ads. And are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like even, even Facebook's initial review found that it was just clickbait, but it right. shows that as soon as they came under some pressure from Congress, in Facebook, I mean, you know, you can, I can only speculate, but at least in theory, they have a lot of reasons to want to keep people in Congress happy. I mean, they're subjected to uh, regulations, and you know, they, they, it helps to have powerful friends. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they basically just caved to this these Democrat theories that wanted to prove like a nefarious Russian government role, and they went along with it because why not? And also, meanwhile, they, like as we touched on, Facebook has every reason to want to blame Russia too. Because, you know, there was just a report on 60 Minutes where Trump's lead digital strategist, he went on 60 Minutes and he told 60 Minutes, and, I, you know, apparently this is like standard practice, but I didn't know this. He told 60 Minutes that literally Facebook sent employees into the Trump campaign offices and they embedded in the offices like three or four days a week to help the Trump campaign target ads to voters. And because this, this is a paid service that Facebook offers. And apparently the Clinton campaign turned down a similar thing, I think, because they thought there were such geniuses with, with data that they didn't need it. Mm -hmm. But um, so even so Facebook even so has Facebook a reason to be like, oh, yeah, CYA. 
Yeah, like we got fooled. Oh, like the Russians fooled us too. But really, no, actually, they were embedding with the Trump camp. But apparently, apparently that's been going on for a while. But, uh, you know, I just didn't know about it until now. No, I didn't know about it either. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I'll find a link, you guys, and, and, and sit out. But Facebook does have, like, it's like a, it's a page where they do have, like, an explanation. It's like an FAQ about this whole Facebook Russia ad thing. And, like, the information there, and just what you said, that was another great point that you just brought up about how there was someone actually embedded from Facebook with the presidential campaign. Well, it was offered to both, and I think yeah. what you're saying is absolutely correct, that only the Trump campaign accepted it and, and utilized it. I mean, you know, I think a lot of times smart people, you know, who or people who think they're really smart, oh, social media is for dummies, well... <laughs> you know, it was utilized, it was leveraged, and those are allegedly, you know, people who too turned out and voted in certain areas. And I, I think what's even more problematic with all this is even if, you know, these were the Russians trying to interfere, we don't even know what the ads were. Like, we have no clue what the ads were. We do know from what has, what, from what, we're only relying on Facebook to give us summaries of what they were, right? Most of the ads allegedly did not even target the campaign itself. I mean, yeah. the election itself or either candidate. Yeah. They were just general issues. We don't know whether they were for or against. We don't know exactly what, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, added targeting black. We don't know what they said. We don't know whether they were positives. Like one article I read was like, well, they, it could, there was, there was like one ad that could have been construed to be for or against, but it wasn't really clear. Huh? Like. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't understand. Yeah. Like, I don't understand. Like, and I mean, I'm not a marketing expert, but it just seems like if you're really trying to claim that something like was such a divisive, clear indication that it would be clearer what it was or what it was doing. I mean, I don't know if you saw the Daily Beast piece recently. Oh, I saw the Daily Beast. <laughs> and the Daily Beast has been oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I have the Daily Beast has been so funny because it's all these. It's like they have the teams of journalists on these stories, and they're getting all these exclusives. And it's like you can see it, like these reporters doing their best to make this story into some crazy nefarious Russian campaign. So, for example, one of the first stories they had on the Russian ads, the quote unquote Russian ads, they said up to seventy million people may have been swept in by this camp by this influence campaign. 70 million people from $100,000 on Facebook ads. You know what I mean? Which is what, like, I'm sure the Trump campaign spent, like, that much money in, like, a day or two on Facebook ads. So they're saying that, like, and unaddressed is exactly as you're saying. Most of the ads didn't even talk about the campaign. Most of the ads aired after the campaign. Um, Max Blumenthal, the journalist, you know, he pointed out to me recently that some of the ads literally were of puppies. That there were some puppy ads. Um, and, and it's like, so we're supposed to believe puppies. that all of this is part, puppy ads, literally. Russians which is, you know, ran ads about puppies. And, and about, pu about, about, about puppies. It's like, we're supposed to, but we're supposed to think and, and believe. And part of the reason why it's easy to believe is because they have, we have all these reporters taking this so seriously and like, you know, being like reporting this as if it's a real thing, claiming that, you know, 70 million people were swept in by it. I mean, it's like, it's, it's a farce. It's, it's really funny. Um, yeah, it's funny, and then it's also really sad. Like as you as you you know link in your in your piece, and you, and you go further into now, like everything now from this Facebook ad and from this like that stupid piece. It took three people to write a piece about a YouTube channel. I don't even know how many subscribers it actually had, but some of the videos had no more than like they weren't even. Some of the videos weren't even in double digits views. Yes, some okay. of the videos only had like eight or nine views, but somehow. Yeah. 
this 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 these black people allegedly from Atlanta that yeah. were anti-Hillary were paid Russian trolls, and this is this is proof that the Russians took down. Like, look, Hillary Clinton actually won Atlanta. FYI, BTW. If people weren't clear on that, they won. They won my congressional district. She won my congressional district. If you if you didn't know, yeah. Um, like, what's really stupid about that argument too is that. <laughs> like the southern you know the southern you know black congregation that stood so it's firm ground during the primary probably have a much bigger social media reach than whoever those two guys were that were that were profiled in that daily beast i mean just think about john conyers and not john conyers um <laughs> john lewis uh alone right john lewis is my congressman here in atlanta and i'm pretty sure you know his social media reach is pretty powerful pretty wide so you're, yeah. So you're talking about the story that was on the Daily Beast. Like this yeah. is one of many that are, that they published. This was like the front page. This exclusive. is the most recent one. I think, yeah. well, I think it's the most recent one. So um, yeah, yeah. It was about these two guys with, with with African with like thick African accents posing as being members of Black Lives Matter and saying how much they hate Hillary and how and how they're going to vote for Trump and how this was taken as evidence of this you know crazy Russian campaign to divide us. Exactly. As you said, the view count on those YouTube videos, they've since been taken down, but I, I actually saw them before they got taken down because I, I happened to see the article go up when, when, it, when it got published. Okay. And, and they had the link to the videos. And I took screenshots. So I'll, I'll, I'll tweet it to you now, Anoa. Okay, literally, literally when, I, when I saw the videos, I, I took screenshots. There was like, like it was like fifty-five views and sixty-six well, views. and that's what everyone was saying was they probably had so many views because everyone read the article and was trying to look at the videos. Not yeah. that they really actually genuinely had those views. And but 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 what I was thinking as I was reading your article and then thinking about that piece. Well, I read that I read your article, then I saw that piece, and I was thinking about you know talking with you tonight. Is the fact that now anything and everything is being linked to Russian interference or influence like anything if it's a troll on twitter or if it's uh anything divisive right or counterproductive all of a sudden like um like you you have here a, a quote um that 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 said uh republican senator james Lankford is saying that you know russians are, are linking to tweets about the nfl players and the national anthem protests um you know and it's russians that are pushing the divisiveness on the issue of racial injustice but we have a president, we have an NFL commissioner that is now saying that players must stand, but somehow it's these Russians that in their mind control that are making everyone else do this. And, and, it, and it gets to the point where anyone that says anything, oops, I lost Aaron real quick, you guys. Let me see if I can get him back. Um, it happens sometimes, you know, technology is good for a while. Let me see if I can get Aaron back here. Um... I'm back. Awesome. But um, so, yes, I was just saying like now any any and everything. And this is the problem. This is how irresponsible, you know, the media has been with our elected officials have been super irresponsible, too, because we're we're, we're creating. Well, not we, but they are creating, you know, this frenzied scare that ultimately may end up silencing many voices that are trying to address these underlying issues that are systemic within our society because we need to protect, you know, um, the status quo or protect the, I don't know, image. It definitely seems like with the book, what happened, 
and you know the the upcoming election cycle and Hillary's she's she claims she's not going to run but she's also not going to stay away from politics so it really does seem like these people need to rehabilitate their image or protect if not rehabilitate them or protect their image and like you said shift the blame elsewhere so that they're still able to be in control come you know this upcoming midterm election cycle and it's it's kind of scary the lengths they're willing to go through to discredit a lot of us just to stay in power. Exactly. I, I mean, I truly think that Trump is a result of, you know, the failure of neoliberal economics, the um, the tolerance of um, for, you know, white exceptionalism and American exceptionalism and the consequences of people being fed up with, you know, losing family members in foreign wars like Iraq and Afghanistan and a lot of people revolting by electing him. And instead of those who are responsible for all those or all those different things, being honest about it and saying, geez, what did we do to give rise to this guy? They're, they're doubling down on their own denial. And uh, we're, all paying, we're all paying the price. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, any final thoughts about, you know, this piece or anything else as we wrap up? I really appreciate you for, for, ju- for jumping on tonight. Thanks so much, too, because this, yeah, this is great. Sure. Just that I think I think the whole Russiagate story really, to me, underlines the importance of independent media, um, because even like we've seen even progressive outlets fall victim to this too. like believe all these anonymous leaks and, and focus so intensively on Russia, the Russiagate story at the expense of focusing on 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 real issues. So I, I just think it it um, it underlines it, it underscores the importance of of people like you, you know, just people who are trying to actually talk about the real issues. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you. And I think it underscores the work that you do, you know, very well as well, whether it's through your writing or through his work with real news or other outlets you work with. I mean, it really is important for all of us to come together the best we can to help amplify each other's work, which is why I was really excited to see your piece and also excited that I was able to connect with you so quickly and surprise, surprise, we got to meet on Monday. So that was dope too. So thank you again. I really appreciate you joining me tonight and I look forward to maybe doing something with you in the future. Sounds good. Me too. Thanks, Anoa. Thank you. Bye, Aaron. Bye. So, uh, getting ready to switch gears again. Um, That was Aaron. Definitely check Aaron out on, um, on Twitter or... Yeah, definitely check Aaron out. And it's Aaron J. Mate. I um, accidentally uh, tweeted, like one of my initial tweets accidentally had the wrong um, Twitter handle. I forgot the J in it for him. But um, getting ready to come up with with, with Miami Gator right now uh, in about 10 minutes or so. Um, but just wanted to just wanted to continue on with what Aaron was talking about just for us for a hot second. Because... So much of what we're seeing right now, this mass hysteria, and why I continue to focus on this on this story about the Facebook and about um, how we, you know, are, are 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 dealing with media and making sure that we are getting the best possible. Um, hold on for one second. The best possible information, right? Because again, you guys know me narratives, information. It's really, really important that we're getting it right. It's really important that we're holding people's feet to the fire about what they're putting out there and how they're informing and engaging other people because we have a massive misinformation 
uh, campaign solely for the purpose of protecting, you know, particular, uh, excuse me, political interests. And, and that's really problematic because we, we see that we see how these people are really trying to, Hey, how are you doing? It's going well. I'm gonna patch you in in just like five minutes. Awesome. So we see how this is going along in terms of the way media itself is being leveraged and manipulated to tell a story, to cast, you know, cast this tale. And, and it's, you repeat enough, you know, you repeat stuff enough, then allegedly it becomes the truth. But it's really important for us to not only be, uh, have, have the veracity in the information that we're putting out, right? Even whether, whether you consider yourself a journalist or just a commentator, like I consider myself more a commentator, whether you're an organized activist, if we're putting information out there and we're helping to inform other people, we need to make sure it is the best possible information and not just what we heard or something that sounds really good or right. Um, you know, shout out to Jacqueline Lukewan. She actually wrote a piece that kind of addressed some of this stuff in terms of actually there was a, uh, there was a George Soros meme a lot of folks kept sharing about how George Soros had allegedly said something about using Black Lives Matter to destroy the United States and all this other stuff. And, and, and we really, even if we don't like people, it's still really important to have accurate information because we don't want to be part of, um, you know, efforts to not only misinform, but it actually undermines our credibility long term, right? Because think about it. We have a long haul, right? We actually have a long game we're playing here. It's great if we magically win all these great elections in 2018 and 2020, and, and, and it's powerful and wonderful. But in re more reality, it's going to continue to be a gradual process, and we'll continue to build up our momentum and build up. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying, like, we need to think about how we need to continue to build, engage, and inform, and bring more people along with us, and not spend time getting so caught up in these silos that are more often negative or quote unquote divisive that we push people away, right? It's one thing when you're talking about real issues and sometimes we do have to push through what's uncomfortable, right? We do have to push through, you know, conversations that are not pleasant for some folks because think about it, a lot of these issues that we're grappling with in our communities or on the national level, they're not pleasant issues. I mean, people are living in circumstances that are not pleasant at all. Right. Like it's stressful. It's frustrating. But it takes all of us together to try and figure it out. And if we claim to be certain people on paper with certain values because we believe in certain platform planks, then we need to be willing to do the work that it takes to put it in practice. That's just that's just my thing. So this whole Facebook, you know, ad thing. And now they're starting to look at Twitter some because there's certain accounts that were fake Twitter accounts. I mean, there's a whole bunch of Twitter, Twitter accounts that were fake. Right. When Twitter did the audit, what was it sometime during the primary process? Um, they, when they audited the major campaigns, uh, Bernie Sanders had the highest number of actual real people following him than either Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. So if we're really going to look at, you know, fake news and fake accounts and, you know, Facebook ads and targeting and all this other stuff, then we need to look at the full political picture because ultimately we don't want to see, you know, things being inappropriate, inappropriately used by anyone. Right. If we want a fair level playing field then we want it across the board, whether it's a domestic or foreign actor. Granted, no, I'm not making light of the fact that whether or not foreign actors are, you know, interfering or engaging or whatever in our election process. But at the same time, we need to be realistic here about what is and isn't going on. And, and part of that has to do with 
the way in which information is being reported and how we continue, we continue to misinform on a regular basis. And, well, not we, but the media itself, right? And we need to hold folks accountable. We need to demand accountability. You know, um, we talked about this. I was really excited to do the live show with Katie last night um, and, and Gabe and Wendy Muse. And there is audio recording, at least. I think there was something wrong with the live stream. And that will, Katie said that will be up sometime soon. Um, but we we need to talk we need to talk with people we need to be willing to engage with people um and not just you know hearing ourselves speak which i do very often which is why i'm bringing on two awesome guests to talk about these issues tonight um <laughs> because we, we we really have to take the time to educate to motivate to mobilize and to lift people up and not just you know do this whole thing so i am joined tonight by jeff Miami Gator from Twitter. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing well. It's really good. Hold on for a second. Something's wrong with the sound is not coming through. Just one second. No, I can hear you. It's just not coming through on my OBS. So I'm just trying to check and see what's going on and why. Um, okay, now there it goes. Okay, great. So anyway, so how are you doing this evening? Very good. You? I'm doing pretty awesome. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I've actually, you've been on my list of people to talk to for a long time and just things just get crazy and hectic. And I know you're busy. I'm busy. So yeah. I'm excited that this came together. So awesome. not only are you like super dope and cool on Twitter, you know, often sharing, doing blasts and things like that, which is important, but you're actually involved locally in Florida, um, moving and shaking and trying to help drive actual real progressive change on the ground. Can you just... I know it's a big, big, vague question, but can you just talk a little bit about some of the things that you've been seeing in terms of, you know, post-election cycle action and stuff, at least where you are in Florida? Um, yeah, so after the general election last year, a bunch of my friends and I decided, uh, it was a bunch of people that had worked at Bernie's headquarters, okay. and then some other people that had worked for Tim Canova, who ran against Debbie Wasserman Schultz in District 23. Um, we decided that, we needed to do something to get more people involved. And we had met so many people through those two campaigns that we said we shouldn't lose contact, we should stay together. And we decided to form the People's Progressive Caucus of Miami-Dade. Oh. Um, so that, we already have over a hundred something members. It's only been around for a few months. Uh, no matter how you feel about him, Jeff Weaver gave a speech at our opening. Um, and that was unexpected, I had no clue. I'm a voted board member i had no clue my uh our chair did not want to tell me he wanted to surprise us with that one he surprised some people who weren't too thrilled about it because you know how that and then he surprised others that were really excited to see Jim weaver um <laughs> so that was pretty cool um i'm trying to think of so basically one of the first things we did was the florida democratic party had their elections the second the general election was over they decided to have right an election for their chair, the Florida chair of the Democratic Party, the same way Tom Perez and Keith Ellison ran. We had a similar situation in Florida, and they did the exact same thing to us that they did at every other level. The Democratic Party decided to run a man named Stephen, well, I guess he decided himself to run, Stephen Battelle, who's a billionaire who had never held any office before. He had only been a mega donor, a super PAC bundler. Uh, he had raised lots of money for Debbie, he threw a fundraiser for, for her the day she uh, had to resign in Philadelphia. 
Um, this guy had no, no business being our chair and it's too long of a story to go into, but by pulling all kinds of tricks, some guy who we, who was elected stepped down after promising he would never step down for four years. He stepped down, which created an opportunity for a special election, which allowed this billionaire to then run and become our Florida mm-hmm. chair. So our whole group protested that pretty uh, rigorously. We did everything we possibly could, even taking it to court, which again, they, they threw it out just the way they threw out all the, any case that was brought um, about election fraud during the primary. Um, and we had actual proof. We had emails where the guy who wasn't even eligible, people were sending emails asking for people to show up to, for the vote before he was even eligible to be voted for. We had that leaked email. Um, these are pretty local issues, but if people knew about them, they'd see again that the Democratic Party is doing um, exactly what they did against Bernie, where they stack the deck for whoever they've decided is going to be um, the candidate the party wants and the donors want, the lobbyists want. Um, so that was one of the actions. We fought that pretty hard. He's now currently the chair. Still, he's had some trouble since then. Um, he said some racially charged remarks at one of our uh, Yes. More recent uh, gala meetings. I was there, oh, which wow. I don't. I don't oh. like to admit to. Um, I was there because we were there to represent Tim Canova. Uh, Debbie Wasserman was going to be given an opportunity to speak while they weren't going to invite Tim Canova to speak. So we had to show up there. In the last second, the party did what was right, and they did not allow Debbie to speak because they're not supposed to be taking sides anymore. They promised they would no longer take sides, mm-hmm. so they should not be letting Debbie speak next to Joe Biden but not allow the person running against her speak also at the same event. So yeah, we're doing all kinds of stuff, all kinds of actions. That was just one. Um, We fought against water privatization. We fought democratic lobbyists who were fighting for water privatization. Mm -hmm. Um, We have fought against, well, I mean, it was Republican, uh, Republican run commission, but there were Democrats that were helping uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, when we called, it's in her district. She wouldn't say a word, said it's not her problem. Um, there's all kinds of things we've been doing trying to restore um, rights to felon, to, uh, yeah, yeah, to felons. We've been doing, I mean, it's the list goes on and on. Climate change, Puerto Rico. Uh, yeah, it's a lot going right. on. No, no, no. So I asked, I asked for that list, right? Because again, like I stated out, you are super awesome with helping to push information and get things out on social media. But like there are people get so caught up on who's doing what on social media. They don't actually really understand what people are really putting in, in addition to whatever time they spend on social media, actually on the ground, actually building and motivating and shaping you know, dynamic action that's forward moving and progressive, like on the local level. So I I asked you for that laundry list like that, because like, that's a lot. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and there's this notion that, you know, you know, the Democrats are evil and awful and we just need to just like, just hate on them. And, and that's what we do. But just from what you discuss being present in these spaces and pushing people and demanding that people are represented, demanding that issues are addressed is a vital tool that we need to be doing in this post general election phase of our organizing work. Now I'm not saying that folks, you got to go join out the democratic party. What I am saying is you cannot see ground on these issues in your communities and just leave it to someone else to handle. Um, Quickly on that point, I would say actually locally is the most important reason I would say to Dem enter. I know it's going to make a lot of people angry. Um, I'm not saying give the party any money. 
or to do any extra work for them. I'm saying go into those meetings because I can tell you firsthand, they don't want us at those meetings. They don't want you to be at the Democratic, the, like the local party meetings. Like for, my, for instance, Miami-Dade, after they pushed through that guy to become the chair, mm-hmm. all of a sudden they couldn't reach quorum. Nobody was showing up at the meetings. Nothing was getting passed. Um, they don't want people there. They want to be able to push their agenda. And, and actually we've heard firsthand that leaders within the party specifically me and others that I know, they don't want us there. They're like, get the Gator, get him out of there. Get, we don't want him, go join the Green Party. We don't want their annoyance because they, while we're there, people actually hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we recently held uh, Catherine Rundle Fernandez um, accountable because she hadn't prosecuted a cop in over 26 years, I believe, um, for the, and there's endless amount of uh, people shot that were not, uh, didn't have any weapons on them. She's never prosecuted one cop. There was a recent case, uh, the, the Rainey case, where she didn't prosecute after cops had kept this inmate um, in a shower and burned him to death. He was a schizophrenic um, inmate and he was tortured to death. She didn't prosecute one of the cops. So we actually did get our, D, our local Miami Democratic Party with enough getting certain groups together. We got an actual resolution to to uh, condemn her action. So there are things you can do by joining. And, and that doesn't mean that we gave a dollar to the party. We weren't sitting around by right. the Democrats are amazing. Actually, we went in there and caused a ruckus and told them what was wrong. And people were like, you know what, this is wrong. So uh, there is a lot you can do by joining, not necessarily joining, but being active within the local party. And you can meet other people that are like-minded and you can form your own groups that are outside of the party, such as our progressive caucus. Right, right. And I think what you just said, whether, again, whether or not folks agree with this or not, I mean, it really is important that we consider our alternatives and our options, right? And how there are tools to be leveraged. I had the opportunity of meeting a mayor from one of the smaller cities right outside of Atlanta last weekend. And she's a radical black lawyer who also happens to have been a Democrat that is a mayor of a city in Georgia. The same, she was a part of the same, she's been a part of the same groups and same cohort as uh, Chokwe Lumumba, who's the current mayor of Jackson, her, his father, senior Chokwe Sr., um, who also was mayor of Jackson um, back in, I think, 2012, I think he ran in 2012. Um, but, 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 but people leverage and use, you know, that ballot access because it already exists as a tool to then bring in and do what they need to do, which, which sounds like what you all are doing to some extent in Florida, you use the access because it exists because of, you know, the very archaic, you know, um, election system that we do have in the United States. Not that again, you guys now listen very carefully, not that I'm saying it's that you shouldn't do anything else, but we should consider, you know, other ways of doing things instead of automatically calling someone like Gator here, uh, a sellout or, 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 or whatever else, other <laughs> nonsense that shiftless people who just hang around on Twitter and don't do anything with their shirts off, you know, kind of so <laughs> But, like, I appreciate, though, the way in which you and others are bringing, you know, progressive activism, grassroots activism into, you know, party politics, electoral, and, and vice versa. Um, how has it been, you know, working with community and, and trying to kind of help build more of this political support in an electoral system? How has that been, you know, for you guys so far? it's it's been actually very fulfilling to meet real people like for instance we went um on a canvas for um medicare for all Mm -hmm. we decided our caucus just planned it with dsa 
And we went door to door talking to people in Miami. We planned out certain areas for each group and we just went and talked to them about healthcare. Um, and you'd be shocked people that at first were like one time, one person came to the door with a sword and they were like, what do you want? Like, you know, they, they didn't speak English. It was a Cuban woman. She was like, what the hell do you want? And then my friend, he spoke Spanish. He was able to deliver the message. And when you actually talk to people and they hear about, you know, they, they have their own stories. They had a daughter that she had cancer. She couldn't get treatment. She agreed with us. She said, people shouldn't be dying. They should be getting the treatment. She had no clue about Medicare for all. She had no clue about any of this stuff. So if you actually go talk to people in the community and don't even worry about the party, that can work as well. Um, but as for the party, we've had, you know, ups and downs on the way they treat us, trying to work with them. We've had them working against us, like the chair uh, uh, that cheated his way in there. And then we've had others like Annette Tadeo, who, who just won state senator um, in Florida. It was a previously uh, Republican spot. And the guy who lost it was thrown out because he dropped the N-word. I don't know if you know that story. Yes, I do. I do know that story. That is actually, that seat is actually a very interesting revolving seat, you know, in the past, yeah. what, two years? Because that's Dwight Bullard's old seat, correct? Correct. Yes. yes. So that's another example of the way certain Democratic Party interests, you know, in Florida in that initial race kind of worked against him in the primary. And I know Dwight. I know, so Dwight Bullard is, is the one who got screwed over by Patel for the Florida mm-hmm. chair. White Bullard was going to be, was, you know, running against him, was endorsed by our revolution, was endorsed by Keith Ellison. Um, but yeah, it didn't, didn't seem to go over too well. <laughs> no, um, but I, but I think, I think Florida, I think what you're talking about, and I think your, your section, you know, that area, that district, that area is really illustrative of some of the challenges that more progressive-minded folks have in in some areas when really trying to just pass good work and and, and, and good, you know, policy for communities, for districts. Um, You know, there's so much that's going on right now, and it just seems like there continues to be this, I'll say, old guard or establishment that is more insistent on maintaining position and power than promoting good policy for, you know, for all. Um, so, so just, 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 just a few, t- just a few things, thoughts on like, how do we continue because we have this larger kind of loosely formed collaborative, right. That came together nationally around, I mean, a lot of folks connected already through Occupy or Black Lives Matter or other movement moments that have already been going on. But a lot of us crossing those different groups have kind of solidified or loosely came together around the Bernie Sanders campaign. And we're still kind of you know, figuring out our way and what we should be doing. What are some of your thoughts about how we as progressives kind of continue to help organize and build capacity going forward? So I would say somewhat what we've done with creating your own progressive caucus where there's a lot of cross issues and you don't have to worry about party. Uh, In fact, even though we're loosely, um, you know, connected to the Democratic Party, you don't have to be a Democrat. You can be anything to join our caucus. Um, You can be a Green Party member. We love Green Party people. We've had them speak at our our meetings. Um, If you're a Democrat, we would I would gladly even have a Republican in there if they want to talk and, you know, you'll have the room. I'm not sure you're going to get many people to agree with you, but I'm not going to kick anybody out of the room. Um, I've even made the joke that we'd have Debbie Wasserman in there if she wants to speak. We we only allowed Tim to speak, so we would allow, you know, Debbie, if she wants to come talk to progressives, I know how the room will turn pretty quickly, but she'd be more than welcome. 
Um, yeah, you just need to get out there, talk. I would just go out and talk to people, be involved in anything that helps um, people. That's what I would get involved in, whether it's charity, whether, for instance, right now here in Miami, we, there's a lot of efforts for the Puerto Rico um, hurricane relief or, and other islands um, in the Caribbean, um, whether it's for, you know, getting, uh, I mean, there's, a, there's countless things you can do, but I would just form community, meet people, like-minded people, and, um, and plan with them. Absolutely. And I know you guys, that might sound very simple, but I think that's crucial. I mean, especially in the craziness of times that we're in right now, you know, just with everything that continues to happen. I think what you just said about building community, about forming community and meeting with people and just working on issues is just so important and absolutely what we need to be focusing on and doing. Um, so as I kind of get ready and close out for the night, do you have any final thoughts or words or anything you'd like to share with folks? Well, I've got a, a quick little story. So just last week in Miami, there's a commissioner race on Miami Beach and a guy who's very closely connected to Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Um, he's a represent a state rep, Joseph Geller, mm-hmm. came, out, came out and endorsed a candidate that actually gave money to Ted Cruz's super PAC and other Republican super PACs was registered a Republican until just recently. The guy claims he's a progressive. Meanwhile, Joseph Geller endorsed him and sent out an email for this guy who's running against an actual Democrat who was the finance chair for the Miami Dade Democrats, who's been a lifelong Democrat and just so happens to have recently started to lean towards the progressives and be seen with progressives. So now they've actually decided that they're going to endorse somebody who gave money to Republicans over their own, a Democrat who's worked within their own party just because he has started to move left. And that endorsement also breaks a loyalty because you're not supposed to endorse a candidate against a Democrat. Uh, This is something that the Florida Democratic Party needs to address. And tomorrow there is a Miami-Dade Democratic meeting and I have been told that there will be some people showing up that are not too happy about his endorsement. So stay tuned for that. Um, <laughs> I think we're going to try to flip that endorsement. And other than that, this weekend, Sunday, um, we are going to be throwing a picnic for Puerto Rico relief and other islands. I think the Virgin Islands are included. And people were encouraging them to bring anything they can, baby food, uh, water, any type of goods that people are asking for um and there's a link i'll have links for that on twitter at miami gator or at jeff miami at you guys follow if you're not already following him you should you know definitely always you know not just there's some entertaining tweets every once in a while but but really informative and really engaging and definitely um overwhelmingly forward moving and pushing issues and people that we need to be focusing on and not just crapping all over other people's work yeah. so um it's at Jeff G E O F F Miami. If you're looking to follow him on Twitter, um, definitely. Thank you so much for, for joining me tonight because thank you. again, like we can, we can definitely schedule, you know, longer, more detailed, more planned out chat, but I really just yeah. want to hop on with you um, just to talk a little bit about what you've been doing on the ground. Um, and I really appreciate you for, for, for not just taking the time to talk to me, but, but for what you're doing, because it really is important and we have to just be adamant about um, pushing back and building, like you said, building community and building capacity wherever we go. So thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you so much.
Thank you for all you do. And um, yeah, just I would say everybody get involved. Do not sit on your couch. Get out there. Talk to people. You might not like them at first, but maybe you will. And you'll, you'll find something to work on together. And that's the most important thing. I think just talking and not just pushing people away. All right. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Thank you. You too. So that's it, guys. That's the way of Fanoa for this Wednesday, uh, October 11th, 2017. Um, I just want to give a quick shout out to my girl, Candace Fortin. Um, Candace is phenomenal. If you do not know her, you should. Um, Candace has worked on, you know, several different um, campaigns. She, you know, she was a grassroots volunteer during the Bernie Sanders campaign as well. Um, she has done work with OK Africa with, well, actually, I think she has stuff coming up with OK Africa, um, a really great uh, a report she did with uh, first ladies of the African continent. I can't wait to see how that turns out. Um, she's also done work with Afropunk and just, just all types of stuff. Um, Candace is an amazing person and her father just passed away um, earlier this evening. And I had the opportunity to sit and hug my sister Monday evening while I interviewed um, Brian Cunningham, who's running in the 40th district in, uh, for city council in New York and Brooklyn. Um, and, and Candace is working on his campaign. She, uh, uh, um, Amanda, uh, I forget Amanda's that last name off the top of my head. Amanda had run for city council um, and Candace worked on her campaign. Um, Amanda Ferris. Um, so, so much excellent work that, that Candace has done uh, last year during the election cycle, during the general election of uh, the organization Vote Pro Choice. I did an interview with, with Candace um, during that time as well. She's worked with them. I mean, she's an amazing sister. And I just, I know she's super busy and doesn't even have time to see this right now. But, you know, if you, if you have followed her on Facebook, or if you have followed her, she's Candace Fortin on Twitter, C-A-N-D-I-C-E Fortin, F-O-R-T-I-N on Twitter. Um, just drop her a line and, and send her some love right now. I mean, you know, losing fit parents, I can only imagine. I've talked about, you know, my dad's own illness and stuff and such a blessing to still have him here. So I can only imagine what my sister is going through right now. And I just want to send her all the love in the world. I mean, she's definitely someone who's always grinding, always trying to figure out how can she do more? How can she be better prepared to help with organizing work or help with some progressive campaign or help with raising awareness of some issue in particular and making sure that people's stories are told or marginalized communities are lifted up. So I appreciate Candace so much. I've learned so much from her and I just had to close out my show giving a shout out to my sister because that's really what we need to be doing with our platforms, with our space, with our time and our voices is helping to lift up good people who good do. <laughs> I got choked up. Oh, I'm, cause I'm trying, I'm trying real hard to hold it all together here. Cause a couple of different things that have happened tonight while I'm doing this, this, you know, I actually, um, I, I spoke a few months ago about my friend, Chris Hale, who had passed away from West Virginia. And I just received contact from his father, which I'm so blessed to, to, to be in contact with him because he's a great guy. His son was a great guy. And now I have my sister that I'm, you know, it's heavy on my heart thinking about Candace as well. And no, for anyone out there that doesn't understand, she's not really my sister. She's just my friend. And, you know, affectionately, a lot of us tend to call each other sis or sister. Um, but yeah, so I mean, again, so we need to leverage our platforms and do what we can to lift up good people doing good work. And that's all I try to do here at The Way of Noah. 
thank you so much to everyone who operates as a patron. Appreciate you guys so much. I know things are rough. I know times are hard. Every little dollar counts. Patreon.com slash the way with Fanoa. Um, hit me up, like, subscribe, you know, subscribe on Spreaker, subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com, the way of Fanoa. Go check out the Facebook page, like it, facebook.com, the way of Fanoa. And definitely go sign up and log on to Media Revolt because we ultimately need to get off of all this, you know, big brother spyware, uh, social media BS. Media Revolt, there's an Android app now. What? Michael Salomon has been kicking it in overdrive. So anyway, really excited. Apparently a little birdie told me that Michael Brooks is in town. Um, so it will be really great to hit, kick it with my Jamal. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Maybe there's some special content that comes out this week. Uh, we'll see. So talk to you guys later. Thanks so much for hanging in there with me. And definitely go like and check out both Jeff and Aaron, um, both good people doing great content and great work.